following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We all, as, as human beings, tend to uh, live life on somewhat of pendulum swings, right? Uh, we tend to go from one extreme to another. Um, and uh, and maybe, maybe if you look back over your Christian life, you, you could identify some of that in your Christian experience. I know for me, I first came to Christ in a very legalistic church uh, where everything was about rules. And uh, that was my first encounter with Christ. And I kind of was, was led in that path for a while. And then I discovered this word called grace. Right, which meant you didn't have to keep the rules anymore. And so I went on this huge pendulum swing in the other direction where I, I believed any rules, any laws, you know, all the word obedience should be cut out of the Bible. Right? Well, those are actually both equally dangerous extremes. Right? And, and that's kind of how our Christian life often works. We're on these pendulum swings from one crazy extreme to the other extreme. And we think because we've reacted against what we knew is bad before, that where we are is good. Um, but oftentimes that's not true. And the problem is that we, we hold on to half of the truth. Right? One of the most dangerous things in the Christian life is not error. It's truth that's not full or complete. Um, and Jesus is, in, is, is encountering the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were uh, on this pendulum swing, on the other extreme of the pendulum for the Pharisees were the Sadducees and, and the high priests. And the high priests and the Sadducees uh, had made the error of being very, uh, holding a very loose view of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And uh, they, uh, they really didn't attend to the law very much. And, of course, they had to keep certain traditions and customs. But... Uh, they, they were what we would consider, maybe we would call liberal in our day. Right? They were not diligent about the law. Uh, they were diligent about uh, the, the order of worship in the temple, but not about all the laws that went with it. So the Pharisees reacted against that by going to the other extreme of being extremely diligent about the law. Uh, Luke is aware of these pendulum swings, and so throughout the book of Luke, he's always putting one extreme up against the other. If you remember last week, we're talking about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is, means uh, living in the word, right? Life in the kingdom means life in the word and seeing scripture with eyes to, to the point that we practice scripture. And I believe Luke arranges these stories to help us keep these balances because in this story, he says, um, you know, we need to be obedient. We need to take scripture seriously. We need to put it into practice. But that does not mean living like a Pharisee, because right? that's only half of the truth. So he's going to build out the rest of that truth in this passage. Um, are we living half-truths? And here's the, here's the question. Would we in this group be more likely to ignore the word or to be like the Pharisees and overdo the word? And here's the, here's the question. Can you overdo obedience, right? Can you overdo keeping Scripture? <laughs> it's a trick question, right? We won't take hands, right? But um, 
But it, it appears that the Pharisees, what Jesus charges them with, is really overdoing obedience. Right? Which, which would we most likely have a problem with? Well, given kind of who we are and what we're about, this could be an issue for us. We, we like to think of the, the Pharisees as this horrible group of people that are not like us, but the reality is they are us, right? And, and if we were to transport us back to Bible times, it's the Christian lead, leaders, it's the, it's the representatives of, 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 of the faith, those who are serious about the Bible, who make up the group of Pharisees. So we could very much be at risk of the same danger that the Pharisees were falling into, of only getting half the truth about what it means to be obedient to God's word. So let's uh, look at what Jesus says to them. Uh, You know the setting here, Jesus has just been teaching, and he's been teaching uh, this message, calling people to obedience, right? You've got to be doers of the word. You can't just hear the message. You've got to put it into practice, and you've got to see the truth. And in that sermon, he, he says to the, the people, you're a wicked generation. Right? Now, I can just picture, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this, but my imagination, I can picture the Pharisees kind of cheering Jesus on, like, yeah, preach it, preach it. Yeah, these wicked people, like these wicked people who don't take God's word seriously, unlike us who take God's word very seriously, preach it, Jesus, right? So much so that they think, man, we're going to have this guy for dinner because uh, I want to talk to this guy because this, 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 is, this is good preaching, right? So he invites him in. Jesus sits down and uh, at a, a Jewish house. The first thing you would always do is you would um, wash your hands. Now, this isn't because you've been out playing in the dirt. When I was a kid, you know, the reason I had to wash my hands was because they were black, like black, right, with dirt. And my mom would say, yeah, you know, your hands, you need to wash. That's not what this is about. This is ceremonial washing. Uh, And it it involved them putting their hands out. Another person would pour a few drops of water over their hands, usually would be how it worked, or they would dip their fingertips in a bowl, and they would ceremonially wash their hands. This is not scrubbing for surgery. This is just a ceremony. And Jesus deliberately goes and digs right into the bread, right? Doesn't even pray, whatever. He just dives into some matzah bread and some lamb, and, and uh, it doesn't say this, but I think Jesus is messing with these guys' head, right? Because he's good at that. That's what Jesus likes to do. And all of them are just horrified. <gasps> you can see the air being sucked out of the room as they gasp in horror at this great evil that this person they just thought a few seconds ago was like a good guy, has started eating without washing his hands. And it says they are astonished or amazed. It's the same word that's used at the beginning of this chapter of the crowds when they saw Jesus' miracles. They marveled. The uh, Pharisees marveled that Jesus could be such an idiot, could be so careless to forget basic, you know, Judaism 101. And notice what Jesus said to them. He says, now, let's, let's talk about this. You Pharisees are experts at cleaning the outside of the cup and the dish. But in the, on the inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. <laughs> Some great table conversation, right? Hey, guys, thanks for inviting me for dinner. You evil, wicked people, right? Uh, it can only go downhill from there, right? Uh, the, the, fel- the, the fellowship, you know, it's going to be interesting. 
He says, uh, you fools. It's as if he hasn't insulted him enough. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Um, Jesus picks this battle because he wants to confront them about the whole system that they have created. So when he says, you, you wash the outside of the bowl and the cup, he's not talking just specifically about hand washing. He's talking about the whole system of, of the Pharisees where they, um, they have set up a standard of righteousness that is purely out, outside, pure, purely external. And the, the image here is, is, is startling. <laughs> right? Have you ever been to a restaurant where things were not real clean? It's like this couple that came into a restaurant and they sat down and the, the seat was covered with, you know, the chairs were covered with all kinds of crumbs and food chunks and the table's covered with kind of grease and this film of dirt and they kind of clean off the seat and get some napkins and kind of wipe down the table and they're thinking, we're just we're not as hungry as we were. So the waitress comes and they say, you know, we'll just, we'll just have some coffee, uh, the husband says, and the wife chips in, yeah, and in a clean cup, right? So a few moments later, the waitress comes back with two cups of coffee and plops them down on the table and says, okay, now which one of you wanted the clean cup? Okay. You ever been in restaurants like that? Right. Nothing worse than, uh, you know, than uh, an eating dish, a cup or a bowl that is spotless on the outside, but inside has crusts from the last meal, right? Or a dead cockroach or, you know, just kind of takes your appetite away. See, if it was hungry... We just lost it right there, right? There's some mold, fuzz growing on the bottom. You know, it just, right? And, and it's a, it's, it is a horrible picture because um, no matter how clean it is on the outside, what really matters most, I mean, we want both to be clean, but what really matters is the inside, right? Uh, and Jesus says, uh, the whole focus of your system, everything about what you guys have put in place to keep the law, to keep God's word, is purely outward focused. Everything about your lives, everything you do, um, is, is, is focused on the external. And you have completely neglected the inside. Right? Um, and, and as a result, he says, what is inside is, um, is, is wicked, is full of greed. Right? Uh, and that's a problem. That is a problem. Uh, and, and, he, and he goes on to say, and he, he calls them fools, which was uh, pretty harsh. <laughs> uh, and by that, he means uh, you're failing to understand God's word and his ways. Right? You think that you are living a godly, holy, righteous life. But the truth is you're missing what is essential you're missing what's most important because you don't really understand how God made us. Uh, and the principle is, God, he says, God made both the outside and the inside. And Jesus here gives a description of what we are as human beings. We are not simply what you see outwardly. Uh, our outward life could be characterized by our behavior, our actions, our reputation, really the image that we portray about ourselves. Uh, it's mostly what people see in the physical realm as we move and act and speak and, and do life. And that's the outward part of us. And God created that. But God also created an inward part. And the inward part speaks of the immaterial part of our being, our character, our heart, 
the motives and intentions that are behind our actions, our will, our choices, our thoughts, our emotions. Uh, in, in Scripture, these, these, this immaterial insight part is often called the soul or the spirit. Uh, and it speaks of that part of us that's deep inside that only we and God know about. Right? We can't look inside our souls as we look at each other's lives. We, we see is the outward part, and we can't, we can't always pierce into the heart of a person. Uh, Jesus could and often did, and he does, but we, we don't have that vision. Um, and and at, at stake here, Jesus is really confronting who they really are as people. Who are these Pharisees uh, in truth, right? Well, when we think about our life, who really are we? Who are we? And, and the way this works is there's the who we want to be, right? There's the person that we want everybody to see and and the image that we want them to think of when they look at us. Uh, they're, they're, and we call this our identity or, or the image that we project. Uh, you can kind of look at this. It's fun to look at this culturally. I hope it's fun. Uh, can I pick on some cultures? Uh, uh, we can look at Thai culture. I don't want to pick on Thai people because I love Thai people. But uh, part of the Thai identity is to be, and, and part of what they value is to be Jayen, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? Jayen. They tell me that all the time. Jayen, Jayen. In other words, chill, man, chill. Come down a few notches. Because that's what they want to project. And they will tell you they are patient, calm people. And so they symbolically represent that by this calm and peaceful smile uh, that oozes enormous patience and grace. Right? And that's Thai people, right? Well, that's the, the image they certainly want to project. Right? That's what they want to be. Uh, we could talk about... Um, Swiss culture. Anybody here from Switzerland? It's good to know who I'm picking on. Okay, we got one. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I picture Swiss people as being meticulously detail-oriented. Like everything is, everything is in great order and, and structure, right? So uh, they're known for precision and accuracy. And, and that's why kind of the symbol for them, and I think about Swiss people as a watch, right? Precision Swiss watch because they are punctual. They are on time. They have things together and orderly, right? Because it's a broad stereotype, but it's, it's, a, it's a cultural picture. So if you want a good watch, you buy a Swiss-made watch. Um, you don't buy a Jamaican-made watch, right? <laughs> right? I, thought, I don't think Jamaica makes watches because they're not actually necessary there. Because being on time is not the cultural thing they project, right? What do they project? Don't worry, be happy, man. Who needs, to, who needs to know what time it is, right? You just, whenever. Right? So we, we have these identities of what we want to be. And the same is true in our individual life. Uh, we have this projection, this idea of, of who we want people to perceive us to be. And for the Pharisees, they wanted to be perceived as what? As hypocrites? No, actually not. Even though Jesus, tried, that's what we think of, like, but that's not what they were trying to portray. They were trying to portray a person who is godly, a person who's holy, who's serious about God's word, serious about scripture, who takes the laws and the commandments uh, very seriously and works very hard to do what God asked. Okay, to be a good, like we would call it today, to be a good Christian, to be a good person. That's the image they're trying to project. Right? Um, that's who they want to be. 
And so they worked very hard at creating this outward clean cup that is squeaky clean, that is impeccable in its, in its, in its behavior and conduct and, and outward action. Um, but what Jesus points out here is that the outward life, the person we project, the image that we want to portray, can have nothing to do with what we really are inside. Right? We can be very, very different inwardly than the image people see outwardly. And of course, what does God look at? God looks at the heart. Right? The real me, who I really am, is not what everybody sees, not what everybody thinks, not my reputation, my image. The real me is who I am inwardly, in my thoughts, in my motives, my intentions, in, in the choices I make inwardly. Um, and Jesus says, you know, inside, you are filthy, you are greedy, you are wicked people, because I know the truth about who you are. Um, who are you on the inside, right? Who are we on the inside? Um, you know, the scariest thing about heaven is we all know that when we get to heaven, uh, our life gets put up on the big video screen. Everybody gets to see it, right? And, the, and then the real us is going to be visible and evident. That's what we all dread. That's what we all dread. And we all work so hard at wearing these masks to guard and protect what we know is true of us inside. Um, so, so Jesus looks at the lives of the Pharisees and he proclaims these woes. What is a woe? Well, I used to think it was like, whoa, horsey. <laughs> like, stop. Like, you're headed the wrong direction. But that's not really what the word woe means. A woe is a deep lament of grief and sadness. Jesus proclaims over these guys his great sorrow over the confusion and lostness of their life. He says, I am sad. I am, I am sad. And it is, it is, it is tremendously tragic what you guys are doing. And the tragedy is this. He, 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 and we're going to look, we're not going to look at all the woes, too many to go through today. We're going to look at some of the woes. And Jesus highlights in these woes the tremendous effort that these guys are putting into life. And Jesus says the sad thing about all of their hard work is it is totally wasted effort. He says these guys are trying so hard to put on a good image and, and to be godly but all of their effort is wasted effort. And it's tragic. It is, it is sad. Jesus pities their life. Right? Uh, there is some word of judgment in, in it as well. But it's not judgment of harsh condemnation, but a genuine sad regret that these guys don't get it. So let's look and see. We're going to sample some of their woes and see what it is they're not getting. Uh, first one, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb or herb. I don't know the correct pronunciation, but every spice. <laughs> and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Right? They are trying to be good. Uh, they are um, working hard at at keeping the law to minuscule detail, right? They are tithing spices. 
Now, in your house, how much quantity do you have of the average spice? Like take mint or basil, right? How much do you have? Like 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds? No, right? You you got like a little tiny jar. Uh, You you use a pinch of spice, right? Do you know how hard it is to tie the pinch? (laughs) What's a pinch of a pinch? Well, they were meticulous in that. They would weigh out, you know, mint leaves. You give a, you know, every tenth mint leaf they would tie, okay? They were serious about, about trying to be good, about doing the right thing. But what was the problem? He says, well, in all your effort to keep the law at that level, which, by the way, was it an Old Testament commandment to tithe mint and dill and every spice? Not actually, right? These were laws, which, by the way, was it an Old Testament command to ceremonially wash your hands before you eat? No, right? No. Um, They made laws to keep laws to keep laws. Uh, and, And they were meticulous with these laws outwardly. But Jesus says when you look at your heart, when you look at the inward person, you are failing in the greater areas of loving God and caring for the poor. You're not doing those things. You're not doing the things that would come from a different kind of heart. Uh, He says in verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Uh, What is that about? Well, it is about having a good reputation. Now, is it wrong to have a good reputation? Anybody here hoping to have a really lousy uh, reputation? I'm hoping to be known as like, you know, the crook and the thief and the murderer. Uh, It's not wrong to have a bad reputation. It is not wrong that they seek to be the kind of person that would be honorable. That's what they're talking about here. They get the good seeds because they are respectable, because their life models righteousness and godliness. What was the problem, though? Well, the problem was their inner motivation. Did they want this, uh, this reputation to give glory to God or because they just really enjoyed the attention and glory they got for themselves? Right? They're... Their heart was wrong because they were looking for uh, inwardly. They were, they were greedy for glory. They were greedy for the praise and applause of people. Uh, jumping down to verse 45. I love this. The lawyers, okay, the experts in the laws. So you had the Pharisees. It was a big group. And within the group of Pharisees, you had the, uh, the experts in the law. So the whole group of Pharisees wanted to do the right thing. But they want, when they want to know what the right thing was, they would go to the law experts and ask them, you know, exactly how do we tithe our, our mint and our dill and our spices, right? And the law experts were the ones who explained and interpreted and studied the law. And they're going, hey, Jesus, hold, hold the bus. You're, you're, you're insulting us when you say these things. Like Jesus would go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just didn't know. Right? Now, what does Jesus say? He goes, oh, 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 yes. I am sad about you guys as well. Woe to you, law experts. Your life is just as tragic as the rest of them. Uh, Woe to you, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Uh, It was the job of these guys to teach others how to keep the law. Uh, to, to interpret and to show them how to do this. That's an important job, right? It's important for us as Christian leaders to teach others how to follow 
uh, it's, the, it's the great commission. I, I, Jesus says, I, um, I resolved all power and authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Teaching them to do all I have commanded. So in some sense, we all have this role. But what, where, where did they fail? Well, they failed in this. You know how they taught them to keep the law? The way they taught them to keep the law was by making more laws. And the way they taught them to keep those laws was to create even more laws. Right? So here's the problem. People could not keep the Ten Commandments. So they thought, we have a solution. Because Ten Commandments, you can't keep, so we'll make a hundred. Because if you can't keep ten, you should be able to keep a hundred, right? Makes sense? And when they couldn't keep a hundred, they said, okay, we've got it covered. We'll make a thousand. And then we'll make ten thousand, right? And so they were crushing people under this burden of laws. And uh, and Jesus says, and you haven't lifted one finger to help. In other words, all your efforts have been wasted because you're not helping anybody. You're just killing people under the burden and load and weight of commandments. Well, why couldn't they help? Well, because you cannot keep the laws by more laws. You cannot keep the laws by trying harder. You cannot keep the laws through your own effort and diligence. Right? Not to, not to step on toes, but to step on toes, how many Christian institutions try to help people by this method? Right? How many ministry organizations and churches and, and whatever uh, try to help people obey the law by creating endless laws and policies and rules and guidelines? Right? And when people can't keep that set of guidelines, they create other sets of guidelines and handbooks and policy manuals. Right? I'm not saying we shouldn't be organized, but you cannot legislate obedience. Right? You cannot help people be obedient through the law. And that's exactly what they were doing. And they, fa- they failed to understand the inward place, the inward transformation that must take place in order for people to be able to walk in obedience. Uh, We're going to skip a couple more, just too long. You can uh, have your uh, quiet time tonight uh, meditating on um, them building tombs for the prophets that are uh, bringing down the blood of the prophets on their head. Great passage. (laughs) Great truth. We're going to skip it for time. Last one, uh, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Well, enter what? Well, they didn't enter the kingdom. Okay? Uh, to enter the kingdom requires the key of knowledge. Right? Well, what is the knowledge about? Well, their job was to unlock the scriptures so that uh, those who heard them teach could enter the kingdom. But he says, you have, you, you have taken away the key. How did they do that? Well, they did that by interpreting the scripture purely through the external. The whole focus of what they taught is, if you want to be a good, holy, righteous person, you need to uh, tithe your mint and your dill and your spices. You need to fast twice a week. You need to go through all these outward performances and rituals. But they did not understand how the law worked in the inner person that God created. So they had uh, no capacity themselves to unlock truth because they didn't understand 
how God made us and who we are as human beings. And not only were they unable to uh, enter, but they were preventing others from entering through their false teaching. All right, so you get the picture here. Uh, What was the half-truth of the Pharisees? Uh, Was it that they lacked a concern for holiness? No. Was it wrong for them to long to be holy? No, that is absolutely scriptural. Was it their uh, complacency about sin or keeping the law? Not that, right? They're diligent to keep the law. Uh, Was it their lack of effort in trying? No, that was not the problem. They understood correctly that we are to be holy as God is holy. But that's only half the truth. Their failure was they were working too hard, focused only on the outward life. And in so doing, they, they neglected the soul. Can we be guilty of this? Boy, can we be guilty of this, right? We think that the Christian life is all about our image, our performance, right? and we, we, uh, we know legalism is a problem. We, we know we're not supposed to be hypocrites, right? but we misunderstand the, the priority and the value and the absolute necessity of caring for our soul. Let's go back. I skipped a verse. and Let me go back and look at this verse. Very short and a bit complicated. But let me unpack it quickly. Verse 41 says this. Uh, and actually, we should get some of the context. Let me read verse 40 first. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Okay. And then randomly, he says out of the blue, but give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. In verse 41, he, he, he says, verse 40, you're, you're clean outside, but you're dirty inside. And in verse 41, he explains how to get clean. Uh, but this verse is often very misunderstood. And I know it's very misunderstood because all the Bible translators have translated it wrongly. Okay? Uh, and let me explain all right, before you think I'm crazy. Uh, the literal Greek phrase is this. Okay, it's short, so if you want to write it down, this is literally what it says in the Greek. But the inner things give alms. But the inner things give alms. And behold, everything is clean for you. Right? Uh, what, what does it mean, the inner things give alms? Well, there's two ways to take that. One, uh, and I won't go into all the Greek terms, I'll, I'll spare you that. But one way is to, is to say that it means to give alms to what is inside. The other way to interpret it would be to say to give alms from the inside. And all the translators have taken the second option, that you need to give from the inside your alms. So the New Living says, so clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. Or uh, the ESV says, but give as alms those things that are within. So what they're saying is, this is how you get cleaned. You go out and give alms to the poor. Uh, What was giving alms to the poor? Well, it was one of these practices, much like hand washing, much like tithing mint and dill. It was one of the practices of the Jews to demonstrate their piety. And they knew in the Old Testament they were supposed to help poor people. So every once in a while, when they started feeling a bit guilty, they'd go out and find some poor sap somewhere, and they would give him some alms. And if you were really to do it well, it would be sacrificial. It has to cost you something. You can't just give 
you know, breadcrumbs. You've got you to sacrifice a little. Um, and, uh, and it was one of these outward demonstrations of their piety. It was one of the ways they put out their image. Right? So does it make sense here that Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, just keep doing that and you'll be clean inside? Does that make sense? No. That contradicts everything that Jesus is talking about here. Right? It's this very kind of outward show that Jesus is condemning which is why I think uh, a much better option is to take the first, um, the first approach, which is to say, uh, to interpret it as give alms to, to what is inside. Give alms to what is inside. But we don't like that because it's kind of weird and it doesn't make sense to us. What is Jesus saying? Um, I think he's saying this. this. Uh, you didn't give alms to people who were wealthy, you didn't give people, also people who are even just marginally poor, but the idea was to give to those who are destitute, who are in destitute poverty. Right? Jesus is saying, look, inwardly, your soul is in a condition of destitute poverty. Right? And you need alms for your soul. Right? You need alms for your soul. Uh, Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount this way. Blessed are what? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He says to these guys, look, you have got to deal with your heart. You've got to deal with your soul. And the beginning point is to see that your soul is in destitute poverty before God. You are a broken, impoverished soul who needs the sacrifice of somebody giving you alms. And the command is here is to us. He says to, to the Pharisees, to us, he says, you go and give alms to the poor. In other words, instead of putting all that effort into your outward um, life, into outward obedience, it's wasted effort. Instead, you should be giving alms to your soul. You should, you should be learning how to nurture and care for the inner being of your life because it's a wreck. It is a filthy, dirty cup. It is destitute and impoverished. And it needs attention. It needs investing in. It needs the sacrifice of your time and effort to nurture who you are inwardly. Uh, in fact, I think Jesus is saying here, and other scriptures would support this, that this should be the major effort of our life. The major task of what it means to be a Christian, to live in the kingdom, is not all the stuff we do externally. Not that we don't do that. Jesus is not saying those things are not important. He's just saying that's not how you get there. You don't get into a life of holiness and righteousness and obedience by trying to do it outwardly. He says the only way you can get there is by tending to your inner person, by cultivating and nurturing and giving alms to your heart and your soul. That's where the majority of your effort and energy needs to be focused. Um, well, how does a broken person fix itself? You know, if we go into the deep regions of our soul, which for most of us is terrifying, because when we go there, we see its wickedness, its greed, its selfishness, its pride. Not a fun place to go, right? And how are we as selfish, wicked, sinful people supposed to fix that? Well, we need alms from outside, don't we? And, and, and the word for alms comes from the word for mercy. 
And, and the picture here is Jesus saying, you need to bring your soul ultimately before God so that he can give alms, so that he can pour out his mercy in the inner part of your being to transform you to a different kind of person. And, of course, he does that through Christ, through the work of the gospel, through the work of the cross. Um, he is ultimately the only one who can repair and restore uh, transform our inner life. Um, so how do we do this? What does this look like? Um, we, we, we need to be people who are about soul care, right? about tending to our inner life. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. And, and this is the mistake of the Pharisees. Right? They were diligent about righteousness, but they bypassed the step of attending to the inner, the, their inner life. Okay? And, and so much of our Christian life can be lived out this way, right? Where we're trying to go to church, we're trying to read our Bible, we're trying to pray, we're trying to be nice to people, <laughs> we're trying to say the right things and not hurt people's feelings. We're trying to not make our wife mad all the time. Right? and offend people, and we're trying to do all this good stuff. We're trying not to have impure thoughts. We're trying not to be lustful. Like the guy in the video, you know, we're whacking out the computer monitors so they don't... And we think if we break all, all those things, we, we focus on the outward stuff that somehow this will work. Does it work? No, right? There may be some level of success, but that is not it. That's not what Jesus is talking about, right? We must become the kind of people for whom doing those things is natural. And the only do that is to completely and radically change who we are inside. Uh, we need to be people who give alms to our soul constantly, right? who are tending to the inner person. And honestly, for me, this is hard to preach. It's so much easier to preach about behavior. Like, go out there. You should be going out there telling people about Jesus. Get out there, you lazy bums. So much easier. Right? Or, you know, you should be living this way. You should be taking care of your wife, which are all important things. Right? So much easier to preach those things. It's hard to preach this because it's hard to know how it works. Right? How do you take care of your soul? Well, we don't have time to go into it a lot this morning. Um, but, but let's start with this. Um, this should be the priority of your life. Right? Nurturing the inward part of your being should be the most important, constant, and steady task of your life. Uh, in, in John 15, Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who continually abide in me, and I in them, they will produce much fruit. Right? Saying the same thing there. He says, we're not, we're not about, we don't focus on pr producing fruit, we we focus on the abiding life with Christ. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 3, he puts it this way, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you inside with the Holy Spirit. He will overhaul your life inwardly through his Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him, and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Um, how do we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Well, it's by attending to the inner things of the heart, um, by doing soul work. How do we do that? Well, 
it means unplugging from the external. It means unplugging from our computers, our jobs, our schedules, our time demands, and spending time uh, in stillness and quiet before God. And, and probably a lot of time. You know, I don't know about you, but my soul needs like major overhaul. This ain't going to happen in like two or three minutes. <laughs> it's going to take some serious time of God working. And let me say this. It is not these activities like prayer retreats or, you know, silent solitude, getting alone. Those things in themselves will not transform you. But what they do is this. They help us get in touch with our, who we are inside so that we can bring that before God and allow him to touch it. Right? Why doesn't God just zap us? I don't know. That's what I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. Why did you make this so hard? Right? Why did you zap me? He, in, he requires our participation. He requires us to go to the deep places of our heart and uh, bring those places before him so that he can touch them, so that he can minister in those places, so that he can transform us from the inside out. What will happen when those things start to happen? Well, what happens is this. We accidentally start doing the right thing. We're going to find ourselves, you know, like we just shared the gospel with someone and they got saved. And I have no idea how it happened. Like I wasn't even planning on it. Just all of a sudden, it just happened, right? Find ourselves instinctively walking in the right path, saying the right things, right? Because it comes from inside who we really are, who we are really becoming in Christ. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.